been talking about this series called Cancel Culture, this idea uh, of canceling somebody out if you disagree with them, right? Uh, and we've been talking about that our faith uh, as Christians and who Jesus is doesn't always line up uh, with what culture wants our faith to be, or it doesn't always, Jesus doesn't always fit the mold of what culture expects him to be. Uh, and so we've been talking about kind of like um, hard to talk about issues, right? Kind of seeing, seeing what biblical gospel truth is for our faith and for our lives that we need to stick to as opposed to culture that will change and shift uh, with, with all the um, passing of time. Uh, so tonight what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about money. More specifically, we're going to talk about uh, prosperity gospel. How many of y'all have ever heard the term prosperity gospel before? Yeah, a couple of y'all? Okay. Um, so if you've never heard of prosperity gospel, the reward system for your faith, prosperity gospel, uh, which is not fic- uh, factual, real gospel, basically says that God owes you a reward for being faithful, right? God owes you a reward, uh, owes you blessings, owes you health, owes you wealth, all the different kinds of things for giving your life over to Christ. And we know, because our Bible teaches us, and we're going to look at it tonight, that that is not what the gospel actually teaches us. Um, So before we start tonight, um, before I became your student pastor, I did a bunch of different jobs, uh, but one of the one of the jobs uh, that I have done in my past is to be a production and tour manager for a, a Christian comedian. So my whole job was to basically go out with this Christian comedian uh, to different comedy clubs and to different churches and uh, different businesses and basically help him put on his comedy shows, right? Um, so I would fly out all across the country and I would go to these different venues that he was going to do his comedy routine at. I would go to that venue before he got there, and I would set everything up for him, right? I'd get, his, uh, I'd get his videos ready, I'd get his sound effects ready, I'd get staff in place that could help run the show, uh, I'd set up his merchandise table, I'd get everything ready. So all this guy had to do was show up, walk out on stage, pick up a microphone, tell a couple of jokes, walk off the stage, get on a plane and fly home. Like, that was my job, is to make sure that he could do his job without tripping over anything or without anything going wrong. Uh, and so one of the trips that we actually took uh, was to San Diego. Uh, we went to a church in San Diego. Uh, and this church, uh, when, they, when they hired us to come out there, uh, kind of marketed it as a, uh, a church dinner, right? They said, come be the entertainer for our church dinner, right? And so we get out there, uh, and church dinner, okay, sure. That seems weird to hire a comedian to come out to your church potluck, but whatever, you know, so I flew out to San Diego before my boss got there, started setting up, well, this church dinner was actually in, uh, like, the grand ballroom of this really nice, swanky hotel in San Diego, and so I'm like, well, that's weird, if you're gonna, that's weird, Uh, (laughs) like, it's, it's kind of weird to have, like, a church potluck in some swanky ballroom, right, like, you're gonna show up with, like, uh, hot dogs and pizza pockets at this, like, really nice, really nice hotel. That seems kind of weird to me, but I noticed people started coming in, and they were dressed in tuxes, and they were dressed in, like, formal nightgowns, and all of a sudden, they were, like, laying out silver, like, actual silver, silverware, and setting up this banquet room to be super, super nice, and I realized very quickly that this just wasn't a church dinner, but this was a church fundraising dinner, right? This church was having a dinner to basically raise enough money so that they could do the next year of ministry, And so I was like, okay, that seems weird. I think that's what tithing is for. But okay, we're just going to go with it, right? 
And so the, they get up and they start talking and they're basically saying that everything they do for the next year as a church is going to be based on how much money they raise at this dinner. Again, that's what tithing is for. So I, I'm starting to feel a little weird about being there, right? It's, it's already kind of starting to head off in a path a little bit that I'm a little uncomfortable. But then the pastor gets up. My boss gets up, does his comedy routine, sits back down. Food was great, super nice, like really nice giant steak. Good food. But uh, the head pastor of the church gets up, uh, and immediately I can tell something is super off, right? And so he gets up, and the first thing out of his mouth, he goes, we are going to raise millions of dollars tonight because I love Jesus. I was like, well, I love Jesus too, but like, is, is that how that works? And he's like, we are going to raise millions of dollars tonight because I love Jesus, and that's what Jesus does when you love Jesus. He gives you millions of dollars. Check my bank account real quick. No, I don't, I don't have, like, there's not enough zeros in there, y'all. Like, I don't think that's how that works. And as he kept talking and kept talking, he points out this guy on the front row. And uh, he goes, you see my brother over here in the front row? You see this guy right here? My brother right here was homeless this time last year. He was homeless, living on the street. Right? And he starts talking about this guy. And he's like, this guy came to our church, right? He pocket changed. He just wanted a, he just wanted a sandwich. And all he was asking was for money to buy a sandwich. But you know what I did? And this is the pastor talking, not me. Uh, he's like, you know what I did? I told him about Jesus. I didn't give him money for a sandwich. I told him about Jesus and told him that if you give your life to Jesus, you won't have to worry about homeless and homelessness anymore. And I'm like, dude, come on. Like, somebody, can I leave now? Like, and no lie, literally word for word, I wrote it down that night because I was just completely blown, blown away. He looked at him. He goes, and now my brother drives an Audi, y'all. He gave his life to Jesus, and now my brother drives an Audi. It's the nicest Audi I've ever seen. Jesus took him from his homelessness, and now that brother's driving an Audi and is a successful small business owner because that's what Jesus does. When you give your life to Jesus, he gives you an Audi. And I was like, is my Audi parked out back? Like, I haven't gotten my keys yet, right? Like, I was like, that's not the Jesus I know. That's not the gospel I know. But is there an Audi back there? Like, I'll drive an Audi, right? Like, yeah, like, I don't even need an Audi. I'll take, like, a, a Camaro. Like, shoot, like, let's, can we negotiate? Like, but y'all, this was my first introduction. This was the first time I have literally heard somebody in person talk about prosperity gospel and being completely encaptured by it, completely sold out to this idea that the more faith I have in Jesus, the more money he's going to put in my bank account. This is the first time I'd ever heard anybody say it, and I, I, I went home that night just completely sad because that is not the gospel I know. And so if you get nothing out of tonight, I want you to write this down in your notebooks that God does not owe us anything. God does not owe you, and he does not owe me anything. We owe God everything. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Put it in your phone, Snapchat it, I don't care. Put this down. God does not owe you and me anything. We owe God everything because God already gave us everything when he sent Jesus to die for us on the cross. When he sent Jesus to be our salvation and our pathway back to him, he literally gave every part of himself. He does not owe you a million dollars or an Audi car because he already gave you every part of himself. And it's our responsibility to give our faith and give our trust to Jesus. And so tonight what we're going to do to talk about money and to talk about prosperity gospel and to talk about what I think Jesus really 
wants us to do with our faith and with the blessings that he's given us. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at a story uh, about Jesus and, and, uh, and a guy that's known as the rich young ruler. Uh, Mark chapter 10. It'll be on the screen behind me, or you can turn in your Bibles as well. Uh, but Mark chapter 10, it starts off in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before God, or before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud and honor your father and your mother. And teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Highlight that right there. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He didn't just look at him. Jesus loved him. He took compassion on him in that moment. That's what Jesus does for us when he looks down on us. He loves us, and he takes compassion on us. Um, so it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come. And, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, Well, then who, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so in Mark chapter 10, what you have is you've got this guy who comes up to Jesus, and he walks up, and he's like, hey, Jesus, man, I'm a really, really good guy, right? Like, I've got it going, I've got everything going on for me, right? I'm a really, really good person. I follow the rules. I go to church. I go to student ministry on Sunday nights. I do all the things right, right? So what do I have, to, what else do I have to do? What else do I have to do uh, to get your salvation and to spend all of eternity with God in heaven? And Jesus looks at him, and like it says, he loves him. He has, shows compassion on him, but he knows the real nature of this guy's heart, right? He comes up, and he says, hey, God, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a good person. What else do I have to do? And Jesus knows he's a good person, but he also knows what's kind of keeping him away from putting his faith and trust in Jesus. He knows that this guy hasn't stolen anything. He knows that he honors his father and mother. He hasn't committed adultery or defrauded anybody in business. He's an okay guy, right? But like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, being a morally good person is not enough for us. We have to have a real spiritual relationship with Jesus. And Jesus knows that this guy does not have that because somebody else has taken Jesus' spot in his life, right? And it's his money. It tells us that this guy was a rich guy. He had everything he could ever want. And when Jesus tells him point blank, hey, you need to give up your love of money. You need to give up your dependence and your trust on all the stuff in your life and put all of your trust and your dependence on me. It tells us the guy goes away sad. Essentially, he goes away grieving like he just lost a loved one because he doesn't want to give up all of the wealth and all of the quote-unquote security that he had in his life with all the stuff that he had, right? And so the first thing I think Jesus is telling us in this passage uh, is that money isn't a bad thing, but a love of money is. So hear me really clearly, because we live in a very affluent area. Dallas is a very affluent area. Money is not a bad thing, okay? Having money is not a bad thing. Having money as your number one is a bad thing. 
a love of money over a love of Jesus is where it becomes a bad thing. Um, if you turn in your Bibles, I don't think I put a slide for it, uh, but if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, it's in the New Testament, it's a couple uh, books over from uh, Mark chapter 10, 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, tells us that it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so many people quote this verse, so many people use this verse uh, to basically say that money is no good, right? Money leads to all kinds of evil and, uh, and money's a bad thing, you shouldn't want money in your life, but we, when people say that, it's completely out of context, because if you rewind a couple of verses in First Timothy chapter 6, it tells us uh, that the people that he is writing to uh, in verse 5 says, they have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What he is saying, what he is telling those people uh, is that there are people in your world, there are people in your life that have taken their focus off of who God is and the message and gospel of Jesus, and they have placed it onto money and wealth and blessings. And they think if they get stuff that goes with it, right, I'll get an Audi, I'll get a sweet PlayStation 5, I'll get the latest pair of Air Jordan 1s, which, man, I struck out yesterday. I don't know if anybody else does Jordans, but I struck out on the sneakers app yesterday. But, uh, no, like, <laughs> when, we, when we shift our trust away from God and we depend on wealth, that's when we get sucked into money being a bad thing because we no longer trust in God to meet our needs. We no longer trust in God's provision and God's blessing, and we think that we have control over our life, and we have control over what we get to say and what we get to do. We think that our faith should be rewarded with wealth and blessings. I've done everything right. Just like this guy says, I've done everything right, and I'm filthy rich because of it. Why? How do I get to heaven? Like, do you just need to check my name off the list? But it doesn't work like that. You have to have a real relationship with the creator, not with the created things. Don't trade in the creator of the entire universe for some small, insignificant, eternally insignificant thing that he had created for you to be able to use. Jesus is telling this guy, hey, don't put your trust in wealth. Don't put your trust in money or blessings or any of these things. Put your trust in me and experience the fullness of my salvation. So we have to unload our focus and unload our burdens and put it back on Jesus. The second thing I think he wants us to see in, in this passage is kind of what we've been talking about, is that money is not your reward for living for Jesus. Money is not your reward for living to Jesus. I, again, this is a common theme. Uh, if you've never heard of prosperity gospel before, um, all you have to do is turn on late night Christian TV. <laughs> uh, if any of our leaders in the back, have you ever watched those Christian infomercials? Anybody? Like, they're sketchy, man. Like, the, the high-up channels on your cable that nobody ever goes to because there's never anything up there. It's like random infomercial channels. Uh, like, if you ever venture up there, it's kind of scary, some of the stuff that you'll find. And, and one night, I, as I was kind of prepping for this, and uh, it was a couple weeks ago, I, I was just curious. And I was, I, it was a very well-known, I'm not going to name names, but there was a very well-known pastor uh, that was doing a, a TV special one night. And I was like, I'm just going to watch. I just want to see what he has to say, right? Like, I, I know all the stories, I know all the memes and the jokes, but I'm curious, like, what, what does he really say? And so I started watching this, uh, this, this pastor on TV, uh, and Natalie even came around the corner, and she goes, what are you watching? Like, she started listening to it, I was like, are you serious right now? You're really listening to that guy? It's like, no, no, I promise, I'm not, I'm not actually listening, I'm just, I'm just curious. But he was literally standing on TV preaching to thousands of people in his church 
literally saying, hey, y'all, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be successful in business, right? You are fully capable of doing whatever, like this is legit word for word, you are fully capable of doing everything you want to do in life because God is going to bless you with everything you ever want or desire because that's what God does. He is going to bless you completely if you fully trust in God. Y'all, that's not trusting in God. That is demanding things from God, right? That's not trusting God. That's telling God what he's going to do. God is going to do all of this and bless you with all of these things and blah, 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 blah. That's demanding God to do things for you. That's demanding God to put zeros on the end of your bank account or give you keys to an Audi car. That's not trusting in God to bless you and to provide for you and to walk beside you wherever he has called you in life. Or again, go watch the late night infomercials. Like the holy water ones are the best. Like it's like ninety nine ninety five, and we'll give you a vial of holy pain, uh, or we'll help you walk again. Uh, and ninety nine ninety five seems like it's a lot of money, but it's okay. We'll do it in three easy payments of uh, thirty nine ninety five if you pay all hundred dollars up front. Like it never makes any sense, right? We'll we'll split hundred dollars into three easy payments, but you have to pay it all up front. And like I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, but it's scary the kind of stuff that people think, right? The kind of the stuff that people are selling that God wants you to be happy so it doesn't matter if you follow after what he's telling you to do because he wants you to be happy, so do whatever you want to do. But that's not what the gospel tells us, right? When we fully have reverence for Jesus, when we fully trust in Jesus over money and trust him over the blessings, we start to realize the full impact of who Jesus is in our life, right? He will bless you beyond your wildest imagination, but it doesn't line up with, if I give my faith to him, then I should get A, B, C, D, E, F, G. God will take care of you. God will provide, and it has nothing to do with money or financial gain or demanding that God give you a specific thing over another. And so the last thing, I know this is all heavy stuff, but the last thing I want to look at is what Jesus says at the very last part of the passage. He says, everything is possible with God when we trust him. Everything is possible with God when we trust him. And Jesus goes into, into this passage and he starts talking about, like, it's harder for a, a rich man to get into heaven than it is for the camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? And so you think of, like, Man, that seems pretty hard. You got a tiny little needle, right? Do I have to, like, put the camel in a blender and pour him in? That's kind of gross, right? Like, no. I don't think that's what he's really talking about. And as I was researching this passage, there's a lot of different theories on what he's actually talking about, right? Uh, And so, old city of Jerusalem, where Jesus lives, right, and Jesus is teaching a lot, uh, you've got the main gate into the city, right, where most people come in and walk through the main gate of the city, right? All the caravans and all the camels and all the people that are coming to visit Jerusalem walk through this main gate. But at night, they would close the main gate so that they could keep the city safe. But there was also, this, there's a prevailing thought, and a lot of uh, researchers and archaeologists believe that there was a side gate, right? Uh, there's a side gate that at nighttime they would open the side gate. There was a much smaller, easier protect, uh, easier to protect gate that they would let people come in at night, and it was referred to as the eye of the needle. Again, this is researchers and archaeologists that kind of believe this. I, it's not listed in the passage, but I think it's kind of a cool little 
cool little meaning if this is really true. Um, but you've got this side gate called the eye of a needle. But you've got to think the, the main gate is this huge, wide-open thing that all these caravans can come in. But you also have the eye of a needle gate that's about the size of one of these doors off to the side. And now think of a camel, right? A camel's huge. A camel is not going to fit through that door very easily, right? It's definitely not going to fit through that door if it's loaded down with bags and with crates and with chests and with uh, baskets full of food and, and, and clothing and all these different things. There's no way a camel could fit through that. But if they wanted to get a camel through that gate at night, they'd unload all of the baggage off the camel, right? They unload all the things that are weighing it down. They unload all the things that it is carrying with it that you have journeyed so far with. If you unload all those things off your camel, you can slowly but surely push that camel through the gate and get into the city that you're trying to get into. So that's one thought. There's also another thought, and this one seems a little more random to me, but uh, the illustration, I think, holds up. There's another thought that the word camel can also mean rope. I don't know how that works, but like the way that we translate uh, the old Jewish words into camel, uh, you can easily translate it into rope as well. And so now you're thinking the eye of a needle, but you've got this giant rope in your hand. You're not going to feed it through that eye of a needle, right? But you can if you unravel the rope. If you take all the things that are wrapped around the rope and you get to that original thread that the rope is, is created from, you can feed that original thread through an eye of a needle, right? And so there's different ways that you can interpret this, but what I think this is saying uh, is that it's impossible for you and me, it's impossible for us to unload all of the things that we carry with us when we approach Jesus. It's impossible for us to unload all of our baggage, all of the things that life has put down on our shoulders, all of the things that we carry with us, that we wrap ourselves up in, sometimes to hide what we really feel and what we really think, and other times just because culture pressures have put these things on us. It's impossible for us to throw all of those things off of us and pass through the narrow gate that Jesus calls us to walk through when he calls us into a relationship with him. It is impossible for us to do that on our own. If it was possible for us to do that, we wouldn't need it. He is the one that can unload those bags. He, he is the one that can unload those burdens off of, our, uh, off of ourselves as we travel and we get closer to him. He is the one that unloads all of that and makes it possible for us to enter the gate into his kingdom, into a relationship with him. With man, it is impossible, but with Jesus, with God, everything is possible. Meaning, no matter what you carry with you, no matter what sin entangles your life, no matter what fear or anxiety or depression or or bad thought or bad thing that you have ever done that you carry with you, it is not possible for you to unload it, but it is possible for Jesus to take that away from you when we fully trust in him and we give up control. When we give up trying to be in control of our own life and we let God tell us who it is that he created us to be. He wants to take all of that junk off of you. Now remember, money is not a bad thing, right? It seems like it, like it kind of is, like reading the passage. It's hard for a rich person to get to heaven. It's hard for a person that's carrying baggage and burdens to get to heaven because you haven't given up the things that are pulling you away from God and who he created you to be.
Money is not a bad thing. Having cash in your pocket and stuff at your house is not a bad thing. If God blessed you with that stuff, awesome. That's, that's great. If you drive an Audi, that's cool. I'm jealous. Like, shoot, I need a new car. But it's not a bad thing to have that stuff. But when we put that stuff in God's place, when we put that stuff in front of Jesus and trust in that stuff over Jesus, that's where those things become evil. The root of all evil, love of money is the root of all evil. That's when we turn away from who God is and we let the stuff and we let this world pull us away from who God created us to be. Y'all, Jesus doesn't come in second place. It's like, what is the, what is the saying? Like, uh, second place is first loser. Last I checked, Jesus isn't a loser. So, like, he literally can't come in second place. Jesus wants to be your number one every day, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation. Jesus needs to be your number one. Don't put stuff Don't put burdens, don't put baggage, don't put the things that everybody in this world wants you to put in front of Jesus. Don't put that stuff in front of Jesus and who he is and who he has called you to be. Y'all, tonight we're wrapping up this whole cancel culture series, and honestly, I think that kind of sums up this entire thing that we've been talking about for several months with cancel culture. This idea that culture doesn't always line up with what your faith needs to be with who Jesus is, because so many times culture wants you to add stuff to Jesus, right? I really believe this, that that they want you to say, okay, Jesus plus this will make you okay, right? Jesus plus plus tons of money, that that sounds like a good faith that I can get behind, right? Or or Jesus plus uh, tolerance, okay, now that we can support, Right? Or, or Jesus plus canceling people out. Jesus plus racism and hatred. Jesus plus sexual sin. Jesus plus tolerance for all of these things that your Bible tells you to stay away from. That's what cancel, that's what culture, that's what this world wants you to do because it pulls you away from who God created you to be. But y'all, what we need to know, what you need to take away from the last couple of months of us doing this, Jesus plus nothing else is everything. You don't need anything else besides Jesus. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Everything you could ever need, everything you could ever want. And I'm not saying he won't give you other stuff. I'm not saying he won't bless you in other ways. But Jesus needs to be enough for you. Because none of that stuff ever will be. Jesus plus nothing else is everything. God doesn't owe us anything because he already gave us everything in Jesus. And we need to believe that. We need to trust in that. We need to give everything of ourselves, everything we have, every part of who we are to Jesus and trust in him with everything. Because he is the only thing, the only thing that we need.